What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Low Side Podcast. Uh, my guest for episode number 21 is Jay Revel. Uh, Jay is a writer and golfer based out of Tallahassee, Florida. And I'm going to keep this introduction short and sweet. I feel like I probably usually ramble on these. Um, but I'll, I'll jump right into the interview here because um, Jay and I had an awesome conversation He's a guy um, that I I relate to very well. Um, if you haven't read any of Jay's writing, I highly suggest that you do. Um, the easiest way to do that is probably to search Jay on Medium. If you're not familiar with Medium, it's a uh, writing platform online, and it's pretty easy to find Jay. His username is just Jay Revel, um, J-A-Y space r-e-v-e-l-l and uh, i know reading is kind of a a lost thing in this day and age but i promise if you read some of jay's works you will not be disappointed and uh, he and i kind of think from the same perspective as uh, experiencers and as writers and kind of as golfers so i'll let him tell that story uh i'd like to thank jay for his time and i will look forward like a lot of the guests on this show to getting together sooner than later and playing around a golf and probably having a cold drink after. So here's episode number 21. Take care, guys. Later. Jay, I appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, brother. Appreciate you having me on, man. It's great to talk with you. Absolutely. The, the first question I got to ask you, I know you're a, a Florida State Seminole fan. Uh, <laughs> how excited are you for September 3rd? Uh, very pumped, very pumped. It's uh, the the energy is starting to become palpable again here in Tallahassee. It's always a lot of fun. It's like it's like walking to the first tee. You know, everybody's got their hopes that this might be the day that uh, you're going low, and uh, everyone here in Tallahassee's got the same feeling. You know, getting ready to walk into Doe Campbell Stadium for big uh, prime time Labor Day game against Virginia Tech. This could be could be the year that we uh, you know hit all the cylinders just right and have a really good season new football coach a lot of new energy so it's it's a fun time to be in Tallahassee man it's uh, if, you've, if you've never been down for a game you need to come on down and visit me sometime because I'll tell you it's uh, it's it's pretty wild um, pretty 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 great stuff that uh, the environment we've got cooking over there at Doak for a primetime night game it's unlike anything I've ever seen so I, I'm the same way. I'm I'm an LSU fan, actually. Um, oh man, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know what's up. <laughs> we've had uh, season tickets in our family for a long time, and it, it's it's funny. It, you you probably explained it as good as I think anybody could, saying it's kind of like walking to the first tee. I always tell people yeah. like this time of year is like having an old friend roll around. Like you you don't have to say much. You pick up right where you left off, and the relationship is yep. – you don't act like you hadn't seen each other for a while, and everybody across the country feels that way. So, No, no doubt. Yeah, I found myself started to, about a week ago, tune back into the local uh, ESPN radio channel. We got a really great show here that goes every afternoon. and Yeah, just hadn't listened to it in a while. I kind of said, oh, you know, it's about that time of year to – start honing in again and uh really really getting ready to talk some smack i think our guys are, are going to square off here in about what 2021 what they said and then they set a date uh, so about yeah, a week ago with lsu we just scheduled you all um neutral 
neutral site games two years in a row, one in Orlando, one in New Orleans. I think it was 2021 and 2022. Yeah. And then we, uh, we, you, can, you can pencil me in uh, for New Orleans. We'll uh, watch yeah, and, that uh, We also scheduled <laughs> Clemson. <laughs> we scheduled Clemson uh, home and oh, home yeah. 2024 and 2025. So that's a long way away, but. That's, yeah, well, if you, you should uh, you should make that trek. Clemson's a great place to go visit for maybe one night in your life. Definitely. Uh, but, yeah, not a lot happened up there in the big city of Clemson, but the, the stadium's a really cool atmosphere. Definitely a, a bucket list venue for me, that's for sure. Um, so I know you're, you live in Tallahassee now. Um, kind of tell me where you're from and where you grew up. Yeah, so I, I grew up um, on a little nine-hole golf course uh, in a small town. It's about 20 miles north of uh, Tallahassee. It's it's literally the last stoplight you'll see before you uh, exit the great state of Florida and enter into southwest Georgia. Uh, it's called Havana, Florida. And uh, neat little town, uh, you know, old brick, red brick buildings and uh, a lot of smiling, friendly faces. Actually, it voted, I think, uh, a few years back, Florida's friendliest small town. And my grandfather was the head golf professional there uh, at our little nine-hole country club. And I lived about 150 yards off the fourth tee box and uh, just pretty much was raised on the golf course, man. It was a, it was a great, great way to grow up and uh, learn the game and learn a little bit about life and Came over to Tallahassee to go uh, attend Florida State, and gosh, it's just been a been a great journey ever since. Love love living here. It's a great town. I uh, how, how big? I have a couple questions to ask. Um, sure. But with Tallahassee on the brain, how influential? I have family in Orlando, um, and I mm-hmm. also have family in the Tucson area and the Phoenix area, and I know how influential the game of golf is to those communities. How influential is golf to Tallahassee? Yeah, you know, we've got a great golfing culture here in Tallahassee. Uh, I'm a member at a lovely club. It's called Capital City Country Club. Um, I'm very uh, strategically fortunate, as I would call it, to live about uh, five blocks off the Stiff Tee Box here. Uh, it's an old Tillinghast track. Um, it was uh, originally built in 1914 and was expanded in 1936 by Tillinghast. Uh, really, really unique course for Florida. Big rolling hills, uh, very compact, very walkable. Uh, just you know everything you're going to love about a golden age archi- golden age golf course, uh, and the architecture that goes with it is all present there. So we've had golf played here in Tallahassee since uh, our club actually was founded in 1908. So you know, about 110 years going strong here in Tallahassee. Um, there are a number of great golf courses here. Um, Florida State has their own golf course. It's actually going under the knife. Uh, I think they started construction last week. Uh, uh, it's going to be the first Nicholas Legacy golf course in North America, which is uh, Jack and his son, Jack Jr., uh, are now you know pairing up and doing these legacy designs. So um, the Nicholas family has a really rich history uh, at Florida State. A number of his children attended FSU. You might remember his grandson played on the football 
team a few years ago when we won a national championship. You know, humble brag there. Yeah. Um, Beat the Auburn and, Tigers. Uh, so they're yeah they're they're about to rip that place up and uh, totally redo it. Big overhaul, uh, which is everyone's excited to see how that will turn out. Uh, but there's a number of great golf courses here too. We've got uh, Southwood is a cool little club uh, that's uh, done in a really uh, neat residential development. Um, it's a Fred Couples Gene Bates design. One of the great courses in town is called Golden Eagle Country Club. It's a Tom Fazio course. It's actually uh, it, it really practically was built by Mike Strance back when Strance was working for Fazio. Uh, in the mid to late 80s. Uh, a couple of cool, cool muni tracks here, too. Uh, they're good. And uh, just north of here, there's a really, really neat place called Glen Arvin Country Club. It's up in Thomasville, which is just over that Georgia border. And they've been playing golf there, I think, since 1892. Um, it's the oldest course south of the Mason-Dixon line. So really, really neat place. So great, yeah, great golf culture here. Uh, you know, you've got the Florida State team, which brings a lot of energy, both men's and women's. FAMU has a great team. Uh, we've got uh, you know, just a lot of a lot of cool golf heritage here, which is which is really neat. Yeah, you definitely uh, piqued my interest in some places that I need to add to uh, to the bucket oh, list. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned growing up near a course or on a course and your grandfather being the head pro, would you say, I always ask people like how you got into the game or when golf kind of became a part in your game, would you credit your grandfather for that? Oh yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. Um, yeah, I was fortunate. I mean, yeah, it's kind of a confluence of family, right? Um, so granddad, uh, gramps as I call him still, still kicking it 85, plays four days a week, shoots his age every day. Uh, just a really, really tremendous guy. Uh, was very, very good to me. Taught me the game. Taught me a lot about the game. Um, still to this day, the only person I've really ever had a lesson from. Um, his son, my uncle, was on the PGA Tour for a while. He played uh, the, the bulk of his professional career on the web tour uh played about a five-year stint on the big tour uh when i was I don't know, early teenage years is when when he was doing that traveled a lot watched him play in a ton of tournaments and then you know my parents uh my grandmother were all really great to me they helped me uh you know get to travel and play in a lot of tournaments uh, you know, mom was a real trooper growing up she would put me and my brother and two or three of our neighbors and friends in the car every Monday. We had this really great junior golf tour here in Tallahassee that was uh, just an absolute blast to go out and compete in every uh, every Monday during the summer. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of a, you know, uh, just a golf family. Everybody was always kind of eat up with it, and everybody played. Um, you know, uh, lots of fun evening matches. My brother and our next-door neighbor, uh very very competitive against each other growing up we were all within a couple of years of each other and every night we you know had some sort of chipping and putting contest going on right out in the backyard and uh used to play cross-country golf through the neighborhood and we just we just were very fortunate we had a blast and then as i kind of got into the high school years my grandfather had retired uh and the gentleman that took over as a pro was nice enough to bring me on and let me work up there. I mean, I, I did everything from, you know, taking care of the carts every day, uh, cleaning those up, servicing everyone, 
on that front to uh, picking up shagging range balls. You know, the deal was always I could uh, uh, hit as many as I could pick up. You know, so I used to sit up there underneath a pecan tree and pound balls with my old Ben Hogan blades till the sun went down every night and then turn the tennis court lights on and after that and hit some more. Um, then I'd get up in the morning and I'd go mow the greens. Uh, it was a fun, fun cool way to grow up um i was just eating up with golf from a, from a very young age and um i kind of i kind of laid it all down for a few years when i went off to college um probably got a little burned out on it i guess trying to be competitive and you know a few years after i graduated and you, know, you get you get yourself a paying job and uh you know start start having a little bit of career success and golf started calling back to me and it really came back and bit me with a vengeance again so um yeah i pretty much spent the latter half of my 20s rekindling that love and it's um it's really a, a, a huge huge part of my life I, it might hide for a little bit but i, I don't think it ever you can't <laughs> ever fully let go of it so no no you can't shake it it's like a bad penny um what do you remember about the first round of golf you ever played man um my grandfather took a three wood. It's funny how you remember little things. A wooden persimmon three wood that he cut down from me. It had a green insert in the face of it. I can remember like it was yesterday. And it had like a little, almost like a little um, bolt on it to keep the head on this little shaft that he put in it. Uh, and I just used to get whacked that thing all over the place. I, I, you know, I'd be with him in the cart and let me out or be with mom and dad out walking in the evenings and, and whacking that thing around the yard. And, uh, I can remember, remember it just as clear as daylight, um, being out there with him. And, you know, it just, it was this constant progression. Like I remember when, um, my, uh, grandfather and grandparents got me uh you know like my first full kit set uh a little blue golf bag i can still see that thing and then remember graduating sort of really to like a you know you know what i would call big boy clubs um and just it's funny i don't you know i couldn't tell you the first time i ever made it around um or anything necessarily but i remember an awful lot of days at a very young age going out and, and walking, you know, sort of this four-hole loop, like where our house was situated and where the neighborhood was. You had hole number four, hole number five, and then hole number six. It was just like three-hole loop that came right back around to the to the cul-de-sac and um, used to just walk that loop a ton after school and into the evenings after dinner was done, you know, walking it with dad, walking it with the dog, walking it with my brother and my neighbor and uh, those are those were really really great nights. Um, just a, a, a great way to fall in love with the game, and you know that's what's cool about the game. There's there's such an endless variety of ways to to go and enjoy it, and I was fortunate to discover quite a few of those at a at a very young age. What was that first set of big boy irons? Oh man, they were uh, tailor made ICWs. Uh, funny story, so. I told you my uncle was on the web tour. Uh, they had a web event here back in this way, back when it was the Nike tour. Um, very Golden very Eagle. familiar with the Nike tour, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, uh, I had a lot of a lot of Nike tour swag. 
and uh, my dad used to caddy it every year. I don't mean to interrupt. Huh? Did he really? We had a yeah, we had a stop in Wichita, Kansas at Willow Bend Country okay. Club, and my dad right, so my dad used to go out there and that. caddy. So that's nostalgia right so, there. The 1997 Wichita Open champion is my uncle. <laughs> no kidding, that's amazing. Yeah, wow. yeah, Ben Bates, man, that's his name. He won a, he won a, it was like a six or seven hole playoff uh, in the Wichita Open in 1997, and I, you know, we can all remember it. Uh, like I said, like it was yesterday. It was just, this, it was a big deal, man. What's crazy is I remember my grandfather's office. He used to have the check, you know, the big faux yeah. Happy Gilmore check or whatever, and it was for thirty six thousand dollars. That's what he won for first place in the on the Web Tour, you know, twenty years ago. Just crazy. That uh, that same event is worth about one ten right now. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy how much it's grown. I mean, you can you can make a pretty good living out there on the web these days. And I was fortunate enough when I was uh, you know in high school and then couple times in college to go caddy for him out there and that was always a, a, a lot of fun but the, the clubs so the story there was they had a they had a web event here in or you know, Nike tour event here in Tallahassee for a while um, and they did a drawing for a set of tailor-made clubs when they had like the junior clinic going on on like the pro-am day or something and we all went over there, and we went to go see him. And the funniest thing about it was, is my grandmother put both my name in and my brother's name in. And I don't know if my brother knows this to this day, but he was still so young he couldn't really play with full clubs. But my brother's name got pulled, <laughs> and we conspired to give me the clubs since I was old enough to be able to play with them. And uh, we got them cut down a little bit, and. Um, yeah, I, I still got them. They're still at the house somewhere. And uh, I played with those things. Had some old persimmon, Tyler's persimmon wood that I played with. And uh, they were great sticks. Yeah, solid stuff. My uh, my first set was a set of Ping G2 Black Dots. Uh, oh, yeah, there you go. The guy who fitted me couldn't believe that I needed the Black Dots because you put some tape on the <laughs> you put some tape on the bottom and they had you swing ten times and ten times in a row there was a little line right down the middle and he thought yeah. being a young guy you would have needed them upright or downright or whatever it was and I used those things well into college and uh, oh yeah you mentioned just getting rid of them I just sold that set of clubs and. I had a hard time letting him go, and the guy oh, that gosh, I, there's no way I could have done it. The guy that I sold him to, my intent was to keep him for my son or for my daughter. But the guy yeah. that I sold him to was a military guy. I grew up on a military uh, base, learning how to play golf, and he said the clubs were he bought them for his son so that he could learn how to play. Uh, that's so cool. it was kind of full circle. Like, okay, the whole yeah. reason I got into the game was on an Air Force base and a lot of these different things, and at least. If I had to let them go, at least they went away somewhere where I, I can kind of be okay with it. But it was not easy, I'll yeah, tell you that. Yeah, that's a cool story. That's a really cool story. Um, you know, you mentioned kind of picking up the game, going away for a little bit, or just obviously life happens and things happen where um, golf's maybe not the focus, and you're, you mentioned picking it up uh, in your later twenties. And I have a lot of friends that do that same thing because they get into a working environment. They start to see the benefits. And I know a lot of people that start the game at that age. Um, what doors has 
the game of golf open for you as you've gotten into this maybe like second stage of being a golfer? Yeah. I tell you, you know, I'll never forget when I was a kid, probably, you know, 13, 14, uh, hell bent on, on going to play in college and making it on the tour. You know, I, I, you know, just dreaming like kids dream. And I remember having a conversation with my dad. Um, my dad's a, he's just a great guy and hardworking guy, you know, has, has made a lot of great things happen for our family. And we were talking one night and, you know, I, I would, he said, you know, you put a lot of work into golf and you're, you're a really good player and, and it's going to take you places, uh, might take you places that you're not expecting it to take you. And I didn't really, you know, know what he was, what he was getting at. You know, like most 13 or 14 year olds, you don't, you don't really understand the world just yet. <laughs> you think you do. Um, but dad said, you know, son, you're gonna, you're going to get invited to places that, just you won't believe because you're a good golfer and people are always going to want to have good golfers uh, with them for tournaments, charity events, trips, you name it. He said, and when you get into the business world one day or whatever you end up doing, I promise you it will open more doors for you than you can ever imagine. Now, you know, you take a comment like that and kind of put it on the shelf. And, um, you know, 10 years later when you're starting your career out, um, all of a sudden, you, you know, the word kind of gets out that you're you're someone that can play golf a little bit. You know, you play golf with someone one time who can, and, and they see you swing the stick, you know, at a halfway decent rate. And all of a sudden, that kind of adds to your uh, talent stack. As uh, one of my favorite authors talks about, you know, you have this sort of, if you're doing it right, you probably have a stack of, of many talents. And uh, if you're if you're smart, you're always pivoting to your talents as a way to grow your career. And, um, you know, I was lucky to, again, have golf as one of these things that sort of in my repertoire. And, you know, going back to when I was a kid and playing on the Big Ben Junior Golf Tour and the Southeastern Junior Golf Tour and all these different events in high school, uh, you know, you never meet a stranger. You learn how, at a, you know, I mean, when I was 8, 9, 10 years old, getting dropped off to play in a tournament on Monday morning, you meet another eight, nine, ten year olds. You've got to go talk to the starter. You got to go in the pro shop and buy balls or whatever you got to do. You you learn how to talk to people. You learn how to converse and you learn how to you know not be awkward and you learn how to make friends and all of that stuff really came together for me in my early twenties. Again, I uh, um, I worked for a, a local elected official uh, right out of college and then I ran a um, uh, our, our downtown special district here, putting on everything from concerts to constantly talking to developers and uh, elected officials, just you name it, all kinds of stuff. And today I work for the local Chamber of Commerce here in Tallahassee. And so I'm constantly working with business people of all different um, makes and shapes and sizes and backgrounds. And one of the constant things that has been a huge asset for me is being able to go play golf with people um, and being able to tell some golf stories and, uh, you know, talk about where I've been and talk about some of the things I've learned in the game. And, um, you know, I, I just last week I was on a, um, a trip with a number of gentlemen um, who are some you know, very influential business folks uh, here in Tallahassee. And um, I'm fortunate enough to get invited on that trip every year because, 
for some reason they like me or they just, you know, like playing golf with me. And, uh, that kind of stuff has, has really added up over the years. It's been a, a, a hugely important influence on my career. I understand. I, I spent, uh, two years in the sales world, um, mm-hmm. talking, to, talking to a lot of clients, talking to a lot of prospective clients. And it's funny, everybody talks about that, you know, how you go play golf or this and that, but, uh, it's just funny how people golf has a funny way of making people let their guard down. And, oh, yeah. um, yeah. I, in an industry I worked in, I assume like you work in, in the business world, you deal with a lot of high profile type a personalities who uh, kind of <laughs> kind of push their ego aside on the golf course, and maybe yeah. maybe yeah. at times get exposed on the golf course. And uh, I think it has this funny way. Golf has a funny way of doing a lot of things, but I think it has a funny way of uh, maybe humbling people or bringing people together that in other scenarios might not. So. Oh yeah, well, and, and you know, there are a number of connections that I have with very influential individuals. And the only reason I have those connections is because of golf. Um, you know, a scenario, you know, I, I won't, I won't, in case, you know, different folks are listening in, <laughs> I won't get into all the details, but uh, I have, I have had a number of scenarios where someone that I, you know, have a desire to meet, uh, that bridge gets made because I find out that they like playing golf, and that's that's the the entree that I can offer to sort of get my foot in the door. And um, I do some different talks on campus at FSU and other places, um, and I have a, a, a sort of TED Talkish type of spiel that I do called "Who Thinks of You and Why." And yeah, you know, the whole the whole key to that is. Your, your success rate with finding opportunities many times will depend on who thinks about you and why they think about you. And in my career, you know, having people think of me as a good person and a good time to be with on a golf course has just opened uh, numerous amounts of doors uh, and led to some really, really, really great opportunities. So it's, it's an unbelievable career asset. I, if you don't play golf and you're in any kind of um, you know, business line. I, I just, you know, go get some sticks from the local playing against sports and start start trying to figure it out because it can be a, it just can be a tremendous asset. I, I agree entirely. Um, you know, I think we talked about business. We talked about golf. I think those are probably two things that maybe drew us towards each other. Uh, I think the third thing, and, and maybe the the most important thing from my eyes and maybe from your eyes was probably writing. Um, I I consider myself a storyteller and a writer. I I assume that you do as well. Uh, And I have read some of your pieces. I haven't read all of them. I've read portions of some of them. And it's easy to tell when somebody has that skill. When did you know that writing was not only something you enjoyed, but something that you were good at? Uh, well, first of all, thank you for that. That's uh, a, a wonderful compliment, and uh, I, I, there's no better compliment to me than someone telling me that they've read something that I've written, and they enjoy it, and it connected with them in some way, and so that that means the world to me. So no I appreciate problem. that. No problem. No um, problem. Yeah, and, and and same to you, man. I mean, you know, anytime you get to connect someone who's got that writing bug, it's it's just it's always cool. Um, 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, you know, I, I told you I grew up in this really small town, and I went to a very small little private high school, country day school, as we call them around these parts. And uh, the education there was surprisingly really, really good. In particular, I had uh, a handful of outstanding English teachers, um, and just they were brutally tough, but very, very good. And I always kind of found a knack to be able to sort of, I don't know, you know, fill up a, a, a page with, with words. Um, never really thought anything of it other than just, you know, if I had to take a test, I'd much rather fill up a, a, a you know, blue book notebook than a, uh, uh, than a standardized test of some kind. Right. So, yeah, I never really did great with the standardized stuff, the SAT, ACT, all that jazz. I just, I don't know, it wasn't really my thing, but, you know, I always did really well in the essay part. Um, and so, you know, when I came to college, I was a political science major, and I, I ended up doing grad school um, and, and got a master's degree in that as well. And um, I, I don't know, I probably did... 65, 75,000 words in grad school. Uh, and just constantly was writing and, and writing for work, you know, at the same time. And, uh, you know, made, made very, very good grades on that front. And, uh, you know, always kind of just had a knack for writing. The funniest thing about it is that I, I've always loved golf. I've always loved write. And I never thought about writing about golf. I mean, never even entered into my wildest imagination is something I ought to do with my time. And, uh, last year I took a trip, you know, I, I've, I've had this golf travel bug for a long time. Like ever since again, traveling to watch my uncle play and traveling to play in junior golf tournaments. Um, and you know, it sort of has emerged as, as I'm, you know, crept into my thirties is something I, I really like to go and do, uh, more and more taking trips. And I started getting more and more into, golf architecture and history and just, you know, reading books and, and, and discovering lots of things. And that kind of became how I started to set some of my travel itineraries. And last, I think it was October, early October, a friend of mine was getting married up in northwest Georgia, like the very far tip of Georgia, almost in Tennessee. And I had read about this lovely place called Sweden's Cove Golf Club. And I said, hmm, you know, I'm, I'm going to be about 45 minutes from Sweden's Cove when I make this trek up to this wedding. And uh, I'm going to have to figure out how to go up there and play this place. I, mean, I had had numerous people um, just speak very, very highly of it. And, and I said, okay, I got to go figure out how to get up there. So me and uh, two other guys that were at the wedding uh, left our, our, our poor wives, uh, one with a newborn, one was pregnant <laughs> and, uh, you know, one was a newlywed. <laughs> so dangerous move, but we all trekked up to Sweden's Cove for the afternoon, played nine holes, probably ended up playing about 15 holes before we had to split for the wedding. And, uh, I, I, I just was totally taken aback by this place. Uh, you know, again, if people don't know about it, Sweden's Cove is, arguably the nine, the best, greatest nine-hole golf course in America, if not the world. And Sweden's, when you walk up, it's just, it's, as I wrote in this piece eventually, it's like shoeless Joe Jackson walking out of the cornfield. I mean, you just, 
come upon this thing and you're like, why, why is this here? And why is it so amazing? The clubhouse is a 10 by 15 prefabricated shed painted in this, you know, rich hunter green color. Uh, the locker room, quote unquote, is a porta john, and uh, there's zero fancy amenity. Period. You know, <laughs> there's a the, the beer that you can buy out of the refrigerator is literally in the box. You got to reach in and get the Bud Light <laughs> out of the box. That's how it's my how kind of place. It is, and yeah, oh, it's 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 my favorite place on earth. <laughs> I'm 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 probably going to try to sneak back up there again here in about another month, actually, but. Um, it's just, it's just an unbelievable golf course. The course itself is, is a real, um, testament to modern minimalism and golf design, what they have built there. There's two guys, Tad King and Rob Collins, who built the golf course actually for a client and then ended up taking ownership of the golf course, uh, later because they were so in love with their work and they're doing some really innovative things. there, trying to kind of get that place, um, you know, up and running is, is something maybe even a little bit more than the than the shed. But the golf course itself is, uh, it's, it's just incredible. I mean, it moved me so much that when I was back at work a few days later, sitting in a meeting, I just started kind of writing notes in the back of my uh, notebook, you know, from work. And, you know, I probably wrote two, three hundred words on, you know, on, on, on Sweden's kind of just descriptions of like what it was like. And the next thing I knew, you know, I was later that night back home punching out on the keyboard, had no idea what I wanted to do with it. Uh, but I thought the piece was pretty cool. I, I titled it, um, uh, the song of Sweden's Cove and the whole kind of premise with the piece was, you know, Sweden's Cove is like a, um, uh, a new favorite song to hear for the first time that you, you, you can't get out of your mind. And, um, you know, I thought it was pretty cool. I thought it was a neat angle and didn't really know what to do with it. And I had made some friends with, uh, the guys at Sugarloaf Social Club, if, you, if you're familiar yep. with them and their work. And they're doing some awesome uh, stuff. Ian and Harrison, they're, they're great, great dudes. And, uh, I texted Ian and I was like, hey, <laughs> so I got this, story i wrote i really don't know what the hell to do with it i said you want to take a look at it let me know what you think and he he was into it and he said i've been thinking about starting a blog page on the website and uh you know why don't we put this on there and see what happens and so he plugged it in and it kind of took off and got a big response and a few days later i had uh, you know i had met uh the architects and made all kinds of new friends from all over the country people who had read it and I said, "Wow, okay, this is this is really cool. This is one of the coolest feelings that I've ever had. I really would like to do this more." And fortunately, I was um, I was getting ready to head to um, California, Monterey, Pebble Beach, uh, probably a month after that trip I made to Sweden's. And so I said, "Well, you know, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to play Ponce Tiempo. I'm going to play Pebble Beach." Um, Let's see if I can write something about each of those and see where it takes me. And I wrote a piece about Pasta Tempo called The Ashes of Alistair McKenzie, and that one kind of took off. And I made all kinds of new connections and friends uh, when I published that. And I've been kind of just chipping away at it ever since. You know, I, I some months I'll do three or four stories. Some months I'll do one. Uh, I've, I've started my own podcast called The Jay Rebel Show, if you 
get a chance, friends, go out, tune in. Uh, we're on all your favorite channels. We will plug, and, we will um, plug that for you. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah, I, I just, I've, I've completely fallen in love with writing about golf. And where I think I found, uh, sort of my sweet spot is, um, when I travel and when I can write, uh, descriptive pieces about the experiences I have uh, at different golf courses. I, I've sort of found that um, that might be my bailiwick there. And, yeah, I do I do a lot of other stuff. Uh, I've done some biographical things. I've done some other historical notes. I'll write a little poem here every now and then. That's kind of fun sometimes. And, um, yeah, so it's it's kind of a, a mixed bag, but my, my real passion is, is traveling and, uh, you know, writing, uh, writing about those travels. So it's cool stuff. It's funny, man. And I, I, to be completely honest, I sit here and I have goosebumps as, as you're walking through that. And I think unless you're listening or unless you know the feeling of the things you just talked about, you can't really appreciate it. Um, mm-hmm. but for me, you said two things that kind of literally made the hair on my arm stand up. And number one was you wrote a piece and you didn't know if anybody wanted to read it. And you just send it to people. And I do that all of the time. Uh, and oh, it's, yeah. it's yeah. funny. I wrote a piece. Not all of the time. I do it when I feel like I have something that's worth sharing. But I don't yeah. know who I should sure. share it with. And it's funny yeah. you mentioned yeah. the Sugarloaf guys. Because I wrote a piece about uh, an experience I had at Prairie Dunes. Um, uh, yeah. that, I, that I shared with you. I shared it with everybody yeah. I knew in the golf community. And the, the Sugarloaf guys were a part of that list. Just because... I thought that it was something they would be appreciative of. Uh, oh, yeah, no doubt. And then secondly, you said, like, you would be in an office meeting and you would be writing <laughs> not necessarily the story, but you're writing the notes that you need to make the story happen. And yeah. I literally had goosebumps because I know that feeling so well. And it, as a writer... Um, when it hits you, like it hits you and there's nothing, Uh, there's nothing you can do. You might be in a meeting, you might be talking to your wife, you might be doing something that's important, but when that spark is there, there's nothing else on your mind other than, okay, I have a a foundation. How do I build on it? So it's, it's funny to talk to somebody, uh, who can explain that feeling because I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it's like, uh, did you ever see the movie Finding Forrester? I don't think I have. All right, so here's your homework assignment <laughs> <laughs> from, a, from a writer, right? So there's this amazing movie. Probably came out, mm, I'm going to say, 1999-ish, okay? And Definitely this heard movie of it. Had, this movie is incredible. So it's got Sean Connery, okay? Sean Connery is this sort of... Uh, hermit of sorts who lives in Brooklyn and there's this young guy named Jamal who's an African-American star basketball player uh, at this local preparatory school and he's been recruited to come play on the basketball team okay and he's just just unbelievable college talent uh, and he's just he's just out of this world uh, the, the the most random star of the movie uh jamal's brother in the movie is busta rhymes uh he's great in the movie um but jamal's secret is that he is a passionate writer and he loves being in the library 
he loves reading classical works and he loves writing uh, uh, about his life and his experiences. And he's kind of got all this bottled up, doesn't know what to do with these things that he writes, kind of hides them almost from the world. You know, he's sort of panned with all these expectations of being this high school uh, basketball prep star. And uh, what he really wants to be is a writer. And so he deals with this struggle. Well, he comes across Sean Connery's character who lives in the, in the neighborhood and you know, he's this sort of bitter old man. And what you come to find out is that Connery is actually this legendary American liter- literary figure uh, whose his last name is Forrester. Uh, I forget his first name in the movie. But they strike up a friendship, and every afternoon Jamal goes over to Forrester's place, and Sean Connery's stumbling around half drunk in the apartment, and he's teaching him about how to be a better writer. But there's this great line. I, I, it's just, I don't know why I went into this whole diatribe, but it's just a great movie. There's a great line where he's talking to him. He's trying to you know, pull the inspiration out of him. And Connery looks at him and goes, punch the keys, Jamal. And it's just this total just great scene where they're all animated. And then you got to watch the movie. I won't spoil the ending for you because it gets, it gets really good. But uh, it's uh, it's just a great movie for a writer to, to kind of get inspired by. But that's how you feel. I always talk. That's what I think of when I'm sitting somewhere. You know, you might be at dinner, you might be in a meeting, or God knows what, and you get that call to write. That's I always hear Sean Connery in the back of my head screaming for me to punch the keys. So that's usually the the feeling I get. <laughs> I hear you. I know it well. Uh, and in the topic of writing, um, I actually pulled up. Uh, the introduction to a piece of yours and I, I wanted to read it back to you um, because Pasa Tiempo, like I've known about it before I read your article on it and I think part of the reason I'm so intrigued by it is a lot of people don't know about it and um, yeah. I feel like they should and when you ask people, you know, where's the one place you would like to go play, they usually have a very traditional answer but for me for like the uh-huh. last four years it has been Pasa Tiempo and uh, yeah, I'm going to read the, the first paragraph of your article back to you. Um, and then I'm going to ask right. you kind of what your thoughts were as you were typing that. Um, because I, I, I've been 30,000 feet in the air and, and known <laughs> what reflection looks like. Uh, but the first paragraph you wrote on an article about the place was, uh, it says, American Flight 517 is my plane ride home from a pilgrimage. I have six hours in the air between me and a return to my daily routine. I've just paid my respects to the remains of the world's greatest golf architect, Dr. Alistair McKenzie. I went in search of the difference between good and great in golf design, and in his final resting resting place, I believe I found it. Why'd you write that? Oh man, yeah, it's cool here. You don't really hear people read your stuff back to you very often, so it's kind of a cool, <laughs> kind of a cool thing. Um, I literally was on the plane. Uh, I think my wife was asleep. This was probably a red-ish type flight coming back from the West Coast, and um, all I could think about, like, I don't remember put it this way. Not every golf experience is gonna, you know, move you deep down inside. Um, I got very lucky somehow that the first two pieces I ever wrote about golf moved me. You know, were the result of me being like really moved by places that I went to, um, and that would have been, you know, again at Sweetens Cove, and then when I went to Pasa Tiempo about a month later, 
And Ponce is just, just um, it's such a cool place. It's such a really cool model. It's a private club, but they have, and what I would classify as an inordinate amount of public access. I mean, you're paying a, a, a premium to play, but you know anybody can go out and sign up and you know throw your money down and go play. Um, it's very akin to a model that you would see at the clubs, uh, the same, you know, a lot of the same Royal clubs in Scotland and Ireland, uh, where, you know, some of the best golf courses in the world are open to you if you're willing to, you know, write the check. Um, it is, uh, it's very accessible. The, the architecture there is outstanding. The routing of that golf course uh, is through this really unique um, California setting. They have these huge, um, you call them barracas is what they call them out there. They're sort of these, what we would call around here, uh, dry creek beds, right? These big, wide sort of washout areas that have been formed over thousands of years. And the whole golf course is routed sort of in and around and through these things. And great elevation changes and really beautiful, startling bunkering and uh, Mackenzie's house uh, that he lived in was is right off of the sixth hole. It's this sort of really tight, cool par five, and you walk right up to it, uh, and you know there it is. There's that's where the good doctor lived all these years. And one of the things that, that was really moving about the place to me was um, I have a, a friend. I don't know if you know um, Matt Cardis. Uh, he's at Golf in Your State on Instagram. Oh yeah. Uh, Great, great dude. Good. I've gotten to be friends with him, just like you know, we were talking about earlier. You meet people from all over the world. He, he was in Kansas City, and we our paths didn't cross, but we tried. Ah, oh, cool. Yeah, you got to yeah, you got to get hooked up with him next time he's he's barreling through town. He's a, he's a great dude. And uh, he and I were, were were talking about Pasa on Instagram. I don't know a few weeks before I went out there, and he tells me he goes, "Hey, he goes, when you get to the 16th green, you need to go." look for this little bench that's just sort of perched up on the hill behind the green and just, you know, drop your bag and, and chill for a minute and take that side in because the 16th green in Pasa Tampa is kind of world famous amongst, you know, architecture junkies. It's this huge three-tiered green that just looks like it's hanging on the side of a cliff. And it looks, it looks like, how in the world can I get a ball to stay on it? And then how in the hell will I put it? And when McKenzie died in 34, they actually scattered his ashes uh, over the 16th green. That was his favorite hole hmm. that he ever designed. Uh, again, you know, Mc McKenzie designed some of the greatest golf holes in, in the world. And uh, that was his favorite, though. And so when you're out there, you're, you're, you're literally playing in his final resting place. And, and, and the, the, the grass that you're playing over is bound together by his, you know, ashes. And I just thought that was one of the coolest things that, that, you know, there are very, very few public courses that are, um, Alistair McKenzie designs, um, you know, only a handful around the globe. And, um, Pasa is probably the, uh, cream of the crop of those. Uh, it's an incredibly interesting design. Uh, it's accessible. You know, I think you can you can get on for somewhere from anywhere from you know 200 to 250, depending on um, you know what the rate or what time of year it is. Which I would tell you, it's worth every penny. 
and you got to go eat at the Holland's house, which sits right back over um, uh, over the hill from the clubhouse. It's uh, it's really really great restaurant, tons of history. Uh, Marion Hollins was the developer of the golf course who was instrumental in development of Cypress Point. That's why she brought Alistair McKenzie up to design Pasa Tiempo. And uh, it's just a, the whole place is just packed with history. And if, if you like golf history, it's, uh, it's sort of one of those few uh, uh, really great museums to the history of the game that anybody can kind of walk right into. And um, when I did it, Moved me enough to pull up the uh, laptop on the plane and punch those keys for a while, you know? So I always ask people, uh, favorite place you've ever played, is that Pasa Tiempo for you? Hmm. I would tell you that I've got three. Uh, I would tell you Pasa Tiempo is one of them. Uh, and I think the other two are probably Sweden's Cove and Winter Park. Um I you know and and they all were very you couldn't you couldn't draw up three more vastly different settings for golf. I mean, Pasa Tiempo's you know full scale eighteen hole greatest golf architect that ever lived. Um, you know, golden age, right in the middle of this you know pretty cool swanky California neighborhood uh, in uh, Santa Cruz overlooking the sea. You've got. Sweden's Cove, which is in this mountain valley that, uh, you know, kind of looks a little bit like uh, Deliverance, uh, where the movie, <laughs> the movie Deliverance was shot. And then uh, you go to a winter park and you're literally playing through these, uh, you know, brick paved streets in the middle of, of, a, of a downtown area that um, is, you know, five miles outside of downtown Orlando and playing across streets and through a cemetery and, uh, train tracks and all this other cool stuff. It just, you know, those are the kind of places that kind of, like you said, you know, make the, the hair on my arm stand up when I, when I get out there to them. And, um, those are probably three places that if, um, if I got a phone call from any of a number of people to come down and, 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 and play, I'm, I'm, I'm getting up and I'm, I'm probably going to take them up on it. They're just, they're that neat. Um, and, you know, oddly enough, all of those are public. Uh, I've played some really cool private clubs around the, around the country too, but, um, you know, there, there's something about places that anybody can walk up on and, um, especially places that anybody can play, but most people for some reason haven't yet. Uh, those are the stories that I really like to tell and those are, they tend to stick with me a little bit more. I, I think it's probably a topic for another another conversation, but uh, I know of some of those places as well, so we might have to find ourselves at the same uh, one at the same anytime. time. <laughs> uh, no, man, I know uh, we talked about you know time and duration, and I feel like we could talk for a lot longer, but I always have two questions at the end that I ask everybody. Um, sure. and I, I'm cutting off other questions that I have, uh, but I, I like to get to these two. And the first one is, I, I know you're a golf fan. I know you're obviously a football fan. Uh, and this is a tough question to answer on the spot, but I, I always ask everybody is what is, uh, your favorite sports moment that you've ever witnessed? Hmm. I saw... Phil Mickelson hit a hole in one at the U.S. Open in 2001 um, at Southern Hills. 
Uh, it's the only U.S. Open my uncle ever qualified for. I actually saw him make an eagle that day on, I think it's the 13th hole. Uh, that was really cool. And then about an hour later, after my uncle missed the cut, <laughs> we went out and found Phil. And uh, I was standing, I don't know, five, ten feet behind him uh, with my brother, my uh, neighbor, and my grandfather. And we watched Phil dunk one. Uh, yeah, it was that was that was pretty cool to see. Uh, never forget that. And then uh, I went to the Rose Bowl uh, and watched FSU win the national championship a couple of years ago. And uh, we had a um, kickoff returned for a touchdown uh, with probably about three minutes left. It was the first time we took the lead in the whole game, and uh, that was. That was pretty nuts. <laughs> yep, I remember that game. I'm a like I said, an LSU and an SEC guy. I remember watching that one. Yeah, and I, I don't remember Phil's hole in one, um, but Southern Hills being a premier Midwest golf course, and mm-hmm. I, I believe another Perry Maxwell design. Yeah, um, yep. who's an architect that I talk a lot about um, that I was introduced to in the last couple of years. Uh, and I'm a big fan of, so I'm sure being around Southern yeah, Hills was great work. pretty, pretty special. Yeah, I, uh, he's an architect that I would love to discover a little bit more about. Um, there's a course that's about, an, I don't know, three hours from here over near uh, Mobile uh, that's got an original Perry Maxwell 18 holes, and they have chopped it up into – uh, they chopped the 18 holes in two and then split his course up to create, two, you know, 36 holes. And all the original ones are still there. And I'm like, I wonder if they'll let me go out and just play, play the hole. original. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which would be really cool. But you know, we'll see. I don't know if I can talk him into it or not. He, he did a lot of stuff here in the Midwest. Um, so, you know, we, yeah. ha- we have a little bit of uh Tillinghouse I've actually played a few of his courses uh Swope Park in particular in Kansas City mm-hmm. and uh none of the Alistair McKenzie courses but he did a lot uh Perry Maxwell did a lot in Kansas and in yep. Oklahoma and so we're very fortunate with accessible courses and some not so accessible that uh have his name on them so yeah. we're pretty lucky yeah uh, yeah that's cool yeah, last question. Uh, like I said, I asked this to everyone as well. I, I, I took this from another podcast, but I think it's a fitting way to end. A lot of different directions this can go. Um, but what keeps you up at night? Uh, right now, my daughter. <laughs> she's uh, she's seven months old uh, and just the apple of my eye. But, uh, yeah, in the last couple of weeks, she hadn't been sleeping very well. Um you know, it's. I would tell you, it's um, balancing uh, the the life and career that I have built with uh, the desires that I have uh, to go and hit the road and discover golf courses and spend time writing about them. Um, you know, I mean, if if I hit the you know the old question, right? If you hit the lottery, what would you do? I mean, I, I mean, I'd, I'd go travel the world and play every golf course I can get my hands on that had any kind of a interesting story and um, you know I wrote a piece not too terribly long ago called um, Scotland down the street and the whole premise behind it was that uh, you know if I had another life to live I'd probably live in a little town by the sea over in Scotland somewhere and 
me and a dog and a cup of coffee would find our way to the golf course every morning. And I'd probably know all the bartenders in town by name, uh, by night. And as fun and amazing and wonderfully poetic, that all sounds to, to dream about, you know, I've got, a, I've got this amazing life here. I got this amazing family and a great career and job. And, um, so yeah, there's nights where, where all that kind of keeps me up where I think about, um, how can I strike a balance between everything that I love on a day-to-day basis and this real yearning passion I have to go and uh, discover these these wildly different landscapes for golf and uh, write a few words about them. So that that some nights will uh, will will get you walking in the kitchen looking for a you know snack or something. <laughs> well, Jay, I think that's a uh, a good sign off to end on. Yeah, man. Well, I can't thank you enough for having me on. It's uh, always great to talk to a, uh, a fellowly uh, obsessed golfer. And um, it's just a, a real pleasure to be with you, man, and love following your stuff and uh, excited to keep seeing where you're going. And hopefully uh, we can uh, clink some glasses in person sometime soon. I'll look forward to it. You got it, brother. All right, everybody. That's it. We'll see you next time. Okay, that's a wrap on this week's episode of the Low Side Podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, feedback, criticisms, uh, please reach out to me. My email address is michael at lowsidegolf.com. I would love to hear what anybody who listened thought and any way we can do better. And lastly, if you have a guest or, or would like to be a guest, please reach out to me. Uh, We're looking for as many interesting people and interesting stories to tell as possible. Um, Not always around golf, um, but but usually with some bit of golf thrown in the middle. So uh, thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.